You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hey, everyone, and welcome back to Page to Stage. A conversation with theater makers. We're your hosts. That's Brian. That's Mary. To put it simply, we're both theater nerds. So let's pull back the curtain and get a glimpse at the artist's process while creating their art. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, over prohibited by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hi, Jen. Hi. <laughs> Thanks so much for joining us today. Thank How you are for you? having me. I'm good. How are you guys? We're great. Yeah, we're very excited. <laughs> I'm excited too. So I guess my first question is, I'm very interested in the education and like maybe what you did right after high school and what that path looked like. So I grew up in South Florida in Boca Raton, where a lot of people visit their grandparents. It's a lovely place to grow up. Uh, And I was lucky enough while I was there to become obsessed with theater from afar through cast albums and through like going to see touring productions and through high school theater and summer camp. Um, But I only ever got to visit New York three times before I moved here. And those were all like the most special trips ever. And I always knew that I was dying to go to school in New York City. uh, And that translated to going to NYU Tisch. So I was a major in dramatic writing. And that was because I loved theater and I loved writing, even though that department is traditionally for like playwrights and screenwriters and TV writers. Um, but because I was a little bit off the beaten path from my major, I ended up having a lot of good internships and like creating a lot of projects myself while I was there and just kind of using the city as my campus. So uh, I actually, I'm in the middle of like a huge apartment clean and I was finding a ton of playbills from college where I took notes on changes being made during previews. And I feel like that was as much my education as like NYU class. Uh, and, you know, just everything I experienced during those four years, uh, including including a couple of like really good internships. That's 
Awesome. So was there anyone either in the internships or in the real world or at school that really mentored you or really inspired you to to kind of take that next step? Because I feel like you are very aggressive, but in like the best way because <laughs> you are a go-getter. And as a woman in the industry, it's very inspiring to see just how motivated you are. So I'm wondering if there was someone that inspired you to be so motivated. Thank you. That's really nice. Uh, I have always just been like really type A, super motivated, crazy person. I mean, it's I think it's as much a part of my personality as anything. Um, but I will say, you know, my internships, which were great, were at the York Theater um, with the Rodgers and Hammerstein organization, which is run by Ted Chapin, who was my hero for years before that because he wrote my favorite musical theater book of all time. Everything was possible. The birth of the musical follies. Go read it. Uh, and my third internship was with Title of Show. So I interned with the writers of Title of Show. Jeff Bowen and Hunter Bell when they were trying really hard to get the show to move from off-Broadway to Broadway. Um, and they, as well as uh, the other cast members, Heidi and Susan and Michael Barras, the director, definitely took me under their wing and taught me a lot um, and just reinforced things that I was already kind of wanting to do. Uh, and when the show did move to Broadway right after I graduated, I got to be Michael Barras, the director's assistant, uh, which was at the Lyceum, where I'm now working again. So that's a full circle moment. And so there were a lot of people, like all of those people and more during those years, that definitely like encouraged me. Like I was lucky to have a lot of great, um, you know, professors and role models and people at internships. But it was really a lot of knowing that like I wanted to do this and like I did not want to do anything else and I knew I was going to have to hustle very hard to kind of carve out a path that wasn't a traditional one you know I knew from the beginning like I didn't want to be an actor um, I didn't even want to be you know like a commercial producer specifically I didn't you know I wanted to do something that helped new musicals happen celebrated underappreciated musicals of the past kind of tapped into like musical theater history and present. So I had a lot of interests and I knew that I had skills, but because it was so, um, so many different weirdo things, I kind of knew I had to hustle to carve my path. So you just spoke about um, theater history and all that. When did you figure out that you wanted to write your book series until, uh, until Stories, Stories of Broadway. Broadway. You got yes, it. I yeah. got it. Um, what's so crazy is that I always was like, someday I want to write theater books. And it was during title of show at the Lyceum when I got to explore Broadway theater for the first time and like would go into different rooms and go, oh my God, like what happened in this room? And why is this part of the theater here? And how crazy that, you know, this hallway is something that someone, you know, gave notes in in 1970 and we're giving notes here in 2008. Um, that kind of like physical history of the theaters was always fascinating to me. I think also because growing up in Florida, when I I would study it from afar, I would be like, oh, the Imperial, where Dirty Rotten Scoundrels was playing right now, and that's where Pippin was. And uh, the physical history of it kind of allowed me to learn about it and made me feel like I was there. And then when I finally was there in the Lyceum, um, I was just so inspired by like learning about other shows that had played the Lyceum. And one day, Jeff Bowen and I were kind of exploring before a matinee, and we found this abandoned dressing room that was filled with like box office receipts of the like 70s and 80s. And um, this is now George Salazar's dressing room for Be More Chill, which wow. is really funny because we have more cast members. <laughs> on Be More Chill than we did on Title of Show. Uh, and it really just stuck with me. And then a couple, maybe like two years later, three years later, um, I have a concert series called If It Only Even Runs a Minute that celebrates underappreciated musicals. And uh, Brisa Trincaro, who's an amazing producer and a million other, she wears a lot of hats as well. Um, she came to see one of those and her and her, um, a partner of hers, Roberta Pereira, they were starting a publishing company to uh, publish like theater related books. And they asked me if I would want to like pitch them a book. And in my brain, I was like, oh, like someday I thought I would write a book about all the Broadway theaters or maybe even about like what my job was on title of show or something. But like, I didn't think that would be 
be three years later, but maybe it is. And so I put together this, you know, crazy pitch and they, you know, wanted to publish the book and we got started on on writing it from there. Um, and I thought it was going to be one book and now it's ended up, you know, in order to do all eight theaters, I mean, all 41 theaters and eight theaters per book, uh, it's going to be six books. So it definitely was inspired two, by... Three? I've done three. And actually I was like... 60% done with book four when Be More Chill started going crazy last year. And I was like, okay, hold on one thing at a time or actually like 10 things at a time. But um, yeah, so it was definitely inspired during that title of Showtime and then rolled forward from there. So when you actually um, are working on a book and you have the eight theaters that you've chosen to work on, what's your first step in doing the research for that, um, that theater? And I'm sure you go there and look through the history and all that. What's really been interesting is it's definitely evolved. It's got to be so time consuming, especially with all the other projects that you work on. Totally. You know, what's interesting is like for the first book, uh, which I wrote at the exact same time as I was uh, starting my job at 54 Below as programming director. I mean, the first book was really the craziest because in order to do it, I I did about 200 interviews. And at this point, you know, I did about 50 additional interviews for each book. Um, But the way that it stacks up, it's like, you know, so the first interview that I did, um, you know, I it was Anna Nathan, who's now in Broadway Bounty Hunter, but I divided up her interview by like, oh, she talked about this theater, this theater, this theater, this theater. And so now the ones that I haven't covered yet are in, you know, a file for me to use later. And so there's all of these, you know, files on my computer with interviews dating back to 2013 that are just for theaters I haven't gotten to yet. But that first book was definitely like the most, you know, crazy and most interviews. Um, and essentially, you know, my goal with each chapter is to go back as far in history as possible. So to interview people that, you know, I have it dating back to like the mid 40s. And what's crazy about it is that there are a lot of older people who I interviewed in order to get stories about the 40s, um, you know, starting in 2013 when I was doing the interviews that have since passed on. So it really has registered more and more all the time that like, unless we capture the stories. It's time to preserve that. Yeah, yeah. they're gone. Um, and, you know, each chapter, it's like, how do we make sure we have, you know, an usher? And how do we make sure we have a producer? And how do we make sure we have, you know, women that worked in the box office and men who did this and make sure, you know, everyone is represented, races, like genders, you know, all kinds of people from different backgrounds. Um, it's so funny, but it really does get that specific where we're like, oh, we don't have a female musical director for these two chapters. Like, it's so much trying to make sure we're like representing all perspectives and also, um, you know, telling about a variety of shows. So shows that were hits, shows that were not hits. You know, it's such um, so many different kind of things to balance. You mentioned that you're the creative uh, programming director at Feinstein's 54 Below. So when did that come into your life and how has that changed your life in any way? I, you know, for many years, like I was just as obsessed with musical theater concerts and cabarets as I was with like theater itself. And, um, you know, so many of my years at NYU were spent going to Joe's Pub and seeing like reunion concerts and seeing new musical theater concerts. That was always something really exciting to me. And so what's crazy is that, um, you know, my first full time theater job was working for the producer Ken Davenport, which was um, such an education in so many things because he does everything in house from like producing to marketing to group sales to general management to creative development. So I spent three years there, and the way that I got that job with Ken was that um, I was working on a show of Joe Iconis's called Blood Song of Love, which was at Ars Nova, doing like creative marketing and audience outreach. And Ken was like, hey, I see what you're doing. Come do that on my shows. I want to hire you, which was so crazy. And I tell this to like all of my interns who, you know, when we're chatting about first jobs and stuff, is that I applied for jobs in that office and never got them. And I applied for a lot of jobs I never got during the two years after college. And the way that I got that job was like doing things with my friends that I believe 
believed in and then someone being like, hey, come do that in my office. So that was pretty amazing. And um, from there, you know, I worked there for three years and at the same time continued to like do my own stuff and write books and worked with uh, Joe Iconis and family. And the way that I got my job at 54 Below was the first year that it was open. Uh, We were looking, so Joe and I and the family, we've done this crazy Christmas show and this will be our 12th year. Uh, And the first three, the first four years of it, we did it at Ars Nova. And the fifth year, Ars Nova had like a main stage production and wasn't available. And we were like, oh, maybe we'll do it at that cool new club that opened. We ended up doing it at 54 Below. And a couple months later, when they were looking for a new programming director, the venue opened with one programming director who was great and he, you know, wanted to move on from that. Um, And the owners of 54 Below were like, oh, get that woman who produced that crazy Christmas thing a couple months ago. And he was like, oh, I know her. So both of my full time jobs in theater, I wouldn't have gotten if I hadn't done crazy work with Joe. Um, And it's definitely changed my life. You know, I've been there for about six years now. um, And it's been such a great way to kind of work with so many artists and so many writers and so many actors and um, just kind of be part of like early development of a lot of things, be part of a lot of people's like first, uh, you know, solo concert or like legends that I've always wanted to work with being part of something that they do. Um, It's just provided a really good foundation for everything else that I have Yeah, it's a great way to meet new people. And I'm sure you use it as a place to find new musicals that you could produce. You know, funnily enough, that's actually not the case. Um, What's interesting is that, um, you know, so as far as like commercial producing, um, I, you know, it took me kind of 12 years to get to the point where I could produce one of Joe's shows. um, And that was Be More Chill. Um, But as far as like producing, what's really interesting is like, producing is a lot of things. It's like, you know, being the captain of the ship and hiring the people and doing all the things. Um, But, you know, one of the main things, as we all know, is like raising the money. And it did. It took me like 12 years in this industry networking to produce one show, which was Joe's show. So um, which was Be More Chill. Um, And right now I'm producing Broadway Bounty Hunter, which is his next show. Um, But what's interesting is that like I don't have a passion for commercial producing in itself. Like it's not I was like, I want to do this if there's only a way to make this show happen if I do it and I'm like super passionate about it but I wouldn't say that like commercial producing is the thing that I know I want to keep doing so the show itself has to be the passion for you totally and I I think that's true of most producers um but I also think that you know judging from like what I've learned about it um you know I have like a number of his shows that I really want to be involved with from a producing like standpoint um and like when we work together you know we've collaborated for 12 years and the level of like collaboration is as such I don't think I would ever want to produce something that I wasn't involved with on that level. And like we've built that for 12 years. Um, I can't imagine being interested in like producing something where I wasn't like that involved. Um, And so like, you know, in 12 years, maybe I'll have enough time to build that relationship with someone else if I stop doing Joe's stuff, which I don't intend to do. So um, it's the kind of thing where like for now, I think I will only want to produce Joe's work. Um, And we, you know, it's it's a kind of partnership that doesn't really exist that often. Um, A lot of producers in the 70s had those kind of relationships with writers but because you know I fully intend to continue to run 54 below and like hopefully do theater historian work I think the only kinds of producing I will end up doing for a while will be his shows so you've said commercial theater and so to me that goes Broadway was is that <laughs> it's the coaster <laughs> should repeat that again um so commercial theater to me 
says Broadway. Would you agree with that? Well, the technical definition of commercial theater is just the opposite of not-for-profit. So there's plenty of not-for-profit theater on Broadway, like from, you know, Roundabout to MTC. Um, And there's plenty of commercial theater off-Broadway and elsewhere. You know, we're producing a commercial off-Broadway run right now. So, um, yeah, it's funny. Commercial has those two meanings. It's either stuff that is that kind of model that's not the not-for-profit model, or people just mean something that, like, people almost use commercial to mean something that they feel like is likely to be a hit based on the topic, which is like another amorphous definition. <laughs> That's so interesting. <laughs> Have you ever been involved in a not-for-profit model in the producing avenue? Yeah. So what's interesting is like, um, I have had so many random jobs. Like I spent the two years after I graduated NYU, um, working like a million different jobs. And so like I did things like I company managed a season at NAMT and like I like PA'd a show at second stage. And like I did so many different things that I, I had experiences at a lot of the not for profits. Um, but also every single show that Joe did up until Be More Chill, which was off Broadway and Broadway was at a not for profit. So like every single one of those was at, you know, Two Rivers, a not for profit. Barrington Stage is a not-for-profit. So I've spent a ton of time at those theaters. Um, And it's just like an interesting model that a lot of commercial shows now like start out at a not-for-profit in order to get a commercial run. The main difference is just that, um, you know, a not-for-profit is like, entrenched at a theater. So um, a commercial production is like a startup. So if you want to do, you know, say you want to produce a show and you can't get a spot at a second stage at an Atlantic and you want to do it yourself, that's a commercial production because you're doing it on your own. You're starting from scratch. You're raising the money. Whereas a not-for-profit theater slots their season in. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of differences, obviously. Like they have subscribers. They have all of these things in place. Donors. Um, But essentially at the end of the day, you know, you have to raise so much money to get the not-for-profit productions to happen and you have to please the people that are giving you that money and it's the same thing with commercial theater so it does have a lot more in common than it you know people think it does um and it's also so much not-for-profit theater now they can only do certain shows if they get enhancement which is like a commercial producer giving them money so the lines um i think have gotten more and more blurred in recent years so i have a question about the the many hats that you have worn so for someone for someone who has worn many hats and has has interest in a lot of things do you think that has helped you in your producing role? Definitely. Or, or is there or is there a need to have like a I guess a need isn't really the right word, but is there a need to have like a like a clear focus? Cuz I know a lot of people in the industry who have said I am just this. And and for for me personally, I have done several things. Like I have worked in a nonprofit. I'm not working for a commercial entity producing company and just like having the different experiences would how do you view that totally you know I think it definitely is really helpful in most ways um there's definitely a lot of people I never would have gotten interviews with for my books if I didn't know them through booking them at 54 below or working on a show with them and in the same way you know there's definitely people that I've gotten to know through my books that then come up later and I'm able to work with them on a production because of that relationship so as far as like the theater community and building that um you know and so much of the programming that I do at 54 below is like um Um, you know, making sure new writers have a platform, making sure these older musicals get done again. Um, It's such an interesting collision of like knowing theater history and present that also wouldn't be possible without the book. So it does feel all connected in my mind for sure. So it seems that one of your goals is inclusivity. And so uh, I'm sure you get young and female a lot in this industry. But does that bother you in any way that people maybe bring that up all the time? Or do you think that the conversation really just needs to be open and a dialogue to keep the inclusivity included in the conversation? 
It definitely doesn't bother me. I think that it's like very cool that we're all having all of these conversations. Um, And especially, you know, like on Broadway Bounty Hunter, which we're deep in rehearsals for right now. It's like I have never been in a room with more people of different um, ages, gender, race, background. Like it's the most diverse and inclusive group ever. And we've been having like these really in-depth conversations, both in the rehearsal process and like during lunch about so many things that I just don't think that we would if it was like a room full of women or a room full of white people or, you know, any number of like bubbles of the way that this happens. And so I love that we're having the conversations and, um, you know, mixing in terms of like what is expected of like who's going to do what. Um, I do think there's like a tricky thing with producing where it's like to be a producer, you have to have access to a lot of money. And it's like as long as the universe is more tilted towards like a certain kind of like white man who is older, who probably has access to that money, like there's almost no way to, um, you know, be inclusive with producing to a degree because it's so dependent on that. So that's that's so true. I didn't even think about that. Yeah, it's interesting. And it's like even though like stereotypically money's usually the first thing people outside of the business think is the responsibility of a producer totally and it is I mean at the end of the day it's like I've produced tons and tons of stuff but I was not a commercial producer until Be More Chill and it took me so many years to build that network because like you know I don't come from money like I didn't come from a background where people were doing theater Um, you know it's like you have to network in order to meet people that are potential investors Um, and that's a big part of it it's not the only part of it like producers do all kinds of things um, you know and running a show. Um, But in order to build that network, you have to have some kind of connections. And in some cases, it's, you know, I know plenty of producers that came up as company managers who didn't come from money or marketing directors or whoever. Um, But a lot of people do come from that foundation of money, because even if it's not your money, you have to find people to ask and to get to invest. Um, And so, you know, in order to obviously produce a Broadway show, you're usually raising, you know, millions and millions of dollars. So, um, you know, in terms of hiring for other jobs, even in any job in theater, there's like a lot of conversations to be had about inclusivity because, you know, what's interesting is so many types of theater jobs require years of internships and those are unpaid. And so it's like, who can do those and how does that make, you know, elitism? Totally, totally. Um, But with producing the conversation is a little different because so much of it is having access to money. So again, it's like, you know, theater should absolutely try to solve the world's problems, but it's it's acknowledging that that is a problem of the world. You know, if there were different kinds of people that had all that access to money, there would be more different kinds of producers. What's a surprising responsibility of a producer that you could shed light on to the people that may think that money is the only thing that you have to do? (laughs) Um, Well, you're technically everyone's boss, which is really a funny thing when, you know, I'm 33 years old and I'm the boss right now on Broadway Bounty Hunter of like dozens of my friends and dozens of people who have been in the business longer and who are older and like, it's just an interesting dynamic. You know, you are in charge of every department. And a lot of that is like hiring the right people and delegating. But a ton of it is hands on, you know, decision making and support of every department and guiding the show, whether that means marketing, whether that means casting, whether that means the lighting design, whether that means the theater operations. Um, so on a day to day basis, you're just working with every department to make tons of decisions based on what you feel are right for the show. Um, and for me, and you know, this is kind of what I was talking about, like producing is so much about the show itself. And about the material that, you know, I'm super hands on, you know, I sit with 
the writers of any show I'm working on and like throughout the entire process talk about so many things um, and how, you know, it's almost a dramaturgical kind of perspective as a producer. Um, but that's something that, you know, that that's pretty unique to like the relationship with the people I'm working with. Um, there's also, I mean, what's interesting is that on Be More Chill and Broadway Bounty Hunter, there are so many people on the team that because I'm their close friend, they ask me lots of questions that you probably wouldn't ask a producer who you like just got hired by and didn't know that well. So I sit there often with like the Be More Chill band and they'll be like, why did we do this instead of this? And I'll be like, oh yeah, I'm the producer. I can explain this decision. And some of the challenge really of the last year has been figuring out when people should know something and when it's not helpful to them. And um, that's an interesting part of it as well. So you mentioned the dramaturgical part of the role and that's something that has always stood out to me I took a dramaturgy class in grad school and I was it just like opened my whole world so is that something that you had a background in before or was that something that you knew would be a part of the producing process or was that kind of like a learn as you go. <laughs> you know, what's so interesting is it's actually the part I probably, um, you know, got an education the most to deal with, because since I went to school for technically for playwriting and screenwriting, um, as well as having spent my entire childhood studying musicals, you know, when I sit down right now with like Joe Iconis and Lance Rubin and Jason Sweetshooth Williams, who are writing Broadway Bounty Hunter, and I'm like, hey, you know, we put this scene in, so this character had this established earlier, but when we did the other production, it made more sense how it was here, and you're having those conversations, and I think that I wouldn't be equipped to have that without having studied musical theater and storytelling and, you know, all of those things the way that I had. But at the same time, like there is nothing that you learn from more than actually like being on the ground in a musical. Um, Probably because all the shows are individually different. So the process is so different. 100%. And like with our group of people, it's so collaborative that like sometimes you're like, oh, this isn't going to work. And then you get in a room with an actor and their perspective on it brings something new to it. It's so much of just like being in the room and responding to what other people are doing. Um, And in that way, like the dramaturgical elements mix with the like other producing elements. It's so much of like, hey, we hired this person to do this because this is happening in the show. Or like this is how we're shaping this like social media campaign because of that thing that the scenic designer just did and so much of like be more chill was crazy because it was really my first time when we were doing it off broadway of being like oh yeah the other day the stage manager said that this was a problem so like next week when i'm talking to the press agent we'll do this um and so it's so much of like producing is so much of being the connector between a lot of different departments as things um, evolve so it seems that you're really busy and you have so many different things in your life that you're balancing. So how do you soak in all the enjoyment and keep the passion there? That's a great question because I will tell you, like, it's never been harder to do that than in this last year. Um, you know, we spent a decade trying to get these musicals to happen. Um, and it took until the Internet decided Be More Chill was good to get all of them to start happening. So it was definitely not the dream that they would all happen at the exact same time. Um, it's very magical that they are, but it's taken a little bit of like recalibrating. And I even like I said to Joe like a couple months ago, like, I just hope we can really enjoy this because like we are truly working like. 20 hours a day and like trying to keep all the balls in the air. Um, So much of the enjoyment part of it is really just like pausing in certain moments um, and just kind of like taking in what's around you. Like I find that um, sometimes I only enjoy what has happened in a certain day when I'm like leaving and like walking around and like listening to music and being like, oh yeah, this and this happened. And that was always like a dream of ours. Sometimes it just takes like making sure you're stepping back from it and like breathing and like appreciating the moments. Um, But I will say that, you know, we all talk about the difference between like social media life and the real life and like how so fitting with be more chill totally totally um and it's been like the most magical year ever like it really really has and it has also been truly the most challenging year ever and i'm sure shocking (laughs) and the whole digital 
incarnation of how everything came for this show specifically is so unique and uh, unlike other productions. So it's definitely, you know, you've, you've worked on this one, but I can't imagine your next show is going to have the same trajectory. Totally. Um, I don't think any show ever will. Like, yeah, it's so true. crazy. Um, what happened, you know, the show happened in 2015 for a month in New Jersey. It died. Like, it got a bad New York Times review. And from there, you know, if you get a bad New York Times review at a not-for-profit, no commercial producer is going to pick you up. If I, at that point, had been like, I want to produce this, I never would have been able to raise the money. I never would have been able to get a theater. It's not up to you. You know, you're at the mercy of those kinds of powers that be. And so it was really the first time it's ever happened where a musical has gotten to New York because of a viral cast album. Yeah, it's got to be shaking the producing community in a way. To, to have them rethink what's going to get a show to Broadway, what's going to be a commercial success, what does success mean, and how are you know people digesting their content? Totally. Well, what's crazy about it, though, is that was four years ago, and it hasn't happened since. And I'm sure it'll happen again at some point, but there's no way to make that happen. Um, hopefully, it's giving people pause about, like, hey, this production happened, it didn't get a good review, or it's not moving on, let's record it anyway. I would love it if that was part of our legacy. That would be phenomenal. Um, but I'll say, like, you know, there was nothing we could have done. Like, we couldn't have done anything else to push it forward. It took, and you know, there were two years after the album came out when we were tr knocking on every door of every producer being like, please, someone else do this. Do it at a small theater in Idaho. Like, we couldn't get anyone to do it. Um, and we did a concert of it at 54 Below as part of a new musical series that I put together at 54 Below, which also included Strange Loop, which is running off Broadway right now. Yeah, and it was that concert that got RNH to license the show. And then it started getting done in schools and amateur productions. And at the same time, the album started taking off on the internet just because people thought it was good and kept, you know, sharing it and listening to it. Um, and it really was unprecedented. Like, nothing like that has ever happened. Um, and as these school and amateur productions were, you know, happening and people were flying in from all over the world to see them because they wanted to see Be More Chill, it started finally this groundswell where we were able to find the right people and the money and the theater and bring it to New York. I think you've touched on something very important, which is the people. It's It was really, like... It was a love project for the people, for all of the theater fans out there, all of the theater makers out there. I, I've heard a lot of talk about how like the social media drove it, but I really think that it had it came from the human beings, which is so cool because I feel like social media, especially today's age, is very dehumanizing for a lot of people and just just in the culture and the society in general. But the fact that people were able to kind of pull it out and be like, hi, this is something that I really love. It's just a testament to like the, what you guys have done and like the work and the story, honestly. Really. What's funny is that like Will Roland always says it's just good old fashioned word of mouth. It just happened on the Internet. Um, but people can't, you know, when I started working in theater on title of show, I was always the youngest person in the room. And I remember sitting in a lot of marketing meetings where people were like, well, social media is never going to sell a ticket, but I guess we'll make the show a Twitter account. Like that's what was happening in 2008. And now it's like the main thing, even not on Be More Chill on other shows, the main thing that is selling tickets and getting people to know about a show is social media media like that is the main tool we would not have gotten to Broadway if it wasn't for George Salazar's Instagram and he spent years responding to every message and like posting content and encouraging this be more chill groundswell of fans as did our whole you know original cast and creators and everyone um, but what's interesting is that uh, you know press is so important marketing is so important all of these things are so important but they're now joined with social media and on be more chill we've had um, like influencer marketing which is kind of the next frontier which is obviously you know ties into social media but people want to hear from someone that actually saw the show and is giving them an authentic opinion about what they thought about it. And for a lot of people now, that's social media. So Be More Chill recently announced their closing on August 11th. What are the responsibilities that you're going to have after it's closed? 
That's a good question. Um, yeah, so obviously, you know, producing a show is like you're producing, we did it off-Broadway, we do it on Broadway, and now, you know, there are plans hopefully for a tour. You know, it's going to get licensed even more. It's going to have a movie that's been announced. So there's all kinds of things for the future of Be More Chill that we're super excited about. Um, but for me, so much of it is, you know, all of the people that were involved on Be More Chill, um, both in terms of like the investors and co-producers and like that family that we built and the, you know, the creators, the cast, everyone backstage like all of that it's like how does that continue and we've spent all of these years building this like family of artists that now grows and grows and it's like what can we work with that person on next and how can we make sure that you know be more chill gets done in this school because that group came to see it and how do we make sure that that you know it's so much of like taking the seeds that were planted at the lyceum and continuing with them um and it's funny because I've, I've had a few moments in the past couple of weeks not even since we announced closing but just in general of being like oh yeah that person is really amazing at this i wonder if they could do this on this other show um and that's happened constantly. You know, our uh, original musical director for Broadway Bounty Hunter, Joel Wagner, um, is also an actor. And when we were doing some Broadway Bounty Hunter development um, about a year ago, he was like, you guys, I love our show so much. I'm really going to focus on acting. And Joe and I immediately turned to each other and we were like, is he the cover for Be More Chill? Could he cover Jason Williams? And now he is covering Jason Williams. And like, you know, it's so many things where we're like, we built this foundation of family. Like, how do we continue to grow it, but also support the people that are there? So um, yeah, there's like a lot of future cool things for Be More Chill, but also just for people that have built relationships on it. So a question about the producer role. So I, from my knowledge, you can correct me if I'm wrong. So there's a lead producer, co-producer, and then there are investors. Mm-hmm. Are there other roles that I've missed within there, would you say? Yeah, you know, there's like always like, a you know, as every show is different, there's always like a little bit of variation on that. Um, but essentially, you know, the producer team are the people like in the room who are like making the decisions and attending the meetings and like part of the process in that way. Um, and investors, a lot of investors, especially on these shows, like have been super, you know, involved and present and all of that. Um, but producing is a level above that in terms of involvement. So can you, I guess, just like explain like the, the roles down. of like the differences? For totally. Um, so the lead producers are actually the folks like in charge, like the production is theirs. They're the ones who like have the official capacity to hire people to make the decisions to do everything. Co-producers are brought on um, by lead producers. Um, and part of that is, you know, to be a co-producer, you have to raise a certain amount of money. Um, and, and, that, and you're considered a co-producer on Be More Chill? Or um, a lead producer? So what's interesting about Be More Chill is we do have one of those, like, weirdo situations. Yeah. Um, so Jerry Garing and Mike Mitri, who are amazing, like, lead producers, um, they were the ones who finally, after years of being like, no one wants to do Be More Chill, they were, like, the heroes who came in and, and did it. Um, and from the you know, very first time that Joe Iconis and Joe Trace were talking to Jerry, um, they were like, oh, you should talk to Jen Tepper. So when Jerry and I met and he brought me on board as a producer, um, technically we call my title on it, not lead producer, but producer. And then everyone else is a co-producer. So I've been involved with a lot of things that the co-producers haven't. I'm not involved with certain things that the lead producers are. I'm kind of like a weird level in between. Um, and I know a, a couple people on other shows on Broadway who actually are in that situation too. Um, it's just amorphous. It's weird on on different kinds of shows but um and then co-producers are people who you know have raised a certain amount of money um and so you know half of the co-producers on be more chill are people that i've brought on half are people that you know jerry and mike have brought on um and then underneath them there are lots of investors and also underneath us are lots of individual investors so you guys are in rehearsal right now for broadway bounty hunter where is that going to be 
Broadway Bounty Hunter is going to be at the Greenwich House Theater, which is formerly known as the Barrow Street, but is now owned by Ars Nova. Um, you might have seen Sweeney Todd there recently, or Constitution, or Freestyle Love Supreme. Um, and we start previews July 9th, and we open July 22nd slash 23rd. We have so many people that we have to have two opening nights. What a joy. <laughs> wow. Um, but we actually, we start tech tomorrow. Our sits probe is tomorrow morning, and then we go right into tech. Um, and the show is amazing. Like, I was talking to a couple of people um, yesterday at rehearsal, was like, I don't think I've ever felt... I'm not going to knock on wood. It'll mess up the recording. I've never felt so confident going from the rehearsal room into the theater about where the show's at. Like, the show is just really great. Um, And, you know, when we did it out of town in 2016, we believed in it so much. So to have this way to bring it to New York now is really exciting. Is there any part of the process that is similar to Be More Chill? Because you said that you have been working on it also for about 10 years. Is that? Yeah. You know, the funny thing is, like, with uh, from the first time, like, I heard Joe's material, I was a student at NYU. I was like, this is the person I want to work with. This is the bus I want to get on. Like, I want to be part of this family of artists. And so what's been interesting is, like, you know, with Be More Chill at Two River, I didn't have any official job or title on it. You know, I was, like, special thanks to Jen Tepper. Like, so many of our family members, like, were around for the development of things. Like someone does a reading, someone writes a vocal harmony, someone, you know, helps with a concert. It's so, um, you know, just communal and collaborative in that way. And sometimes you end up being part of the show in an official capacity. And sometimes you're part of the next show in an official capacity. But with all of Joe's shows, you know, I've always been around at uh, Broadway Bounty Hunter, you know, from the very beginning of the writers creating it. Um, I, you know, heard the songs. I was there for all of the development. Um, And during the Barrington run, I was definitely there having so many of the like similar conversations to what I have now as an actual commercial producer on the show um theater is weird but so we did it in 2016 at Barrington um and then this production is um you know brand new for New York what would you say is the most rewarding part of your job as producer or (laughs) honestly just working in the theater in general yeah, you know, all your all your endeavors. Totally. So much of it is about people having the kinds of experiences that like I loved having growing up and also still love having at the theater or at like a performance. Like I in terms of like 54 below, I always think about, um, you know, Adam Pascal and Anthony Rapp did a run there, which like was years in the making and was so exciting. And, you know, as a Jonathan Larson and Rent fan, like so thrilling. Um, and every night, because like I barely missed a performance of that, I would just kind of watch the audience as well as I would watch what was happening on stage and people who you know love rent but had never seen it live were like oh my god I'm seeing this people who are like me and we're fans of it you know people of all ages again like all backgrounds everybody just like having this communal experience that they would never happen again that would never happen again and enjoying it and um whether it's like you know a Broadway musical an off-Broadway musical a cabaret it's like having being in the room as people experience that is incredibly rewarding especially when it's stuff that you know I have believed in these musicals of Joe's for so long and for so long like we just couldn't get anyone to help us put them on a stage or to see them and so to finally be able to be like here they are and now like look at all these people leaving the Lyceum having like really been changed by Be More Chill um it's it's incredibly rewarding you said at the start of this interview you had said that you had mentors in various capacities and so now you said you have interns and I'm sure there are tons of young artists (laughs) young theater makers either in school out of school whatever it may be who I'm sure look to you now. And so have you had an interaction with someone or is there a piece of advice that you were given that you can or have passed on to those younger, younger artists? 
Yeah, you know, it's so interesting, but our um, producing and social media intern on Bounty Hunter, Bailey Ford, and our stage management PA, Lady Del Castillo, were both my uh, 54 Below interns. And, you know, when you have, um, whenever I've had interns or assistants or anyone that I've been like, that person's amazing, like, you try to get them that next job, or if you can hire them yourself, you do. Um, so much of, like, the theater was people kind of seeing, like, you have to kind of make yourself indispensable, and then someone will want to hire you again or either to, you know, recommend you to someone else. That was my experience. And that's what I try to do for other people. But as far as advice, um, you know, the best thing is just kind of to get started. Like, that's the main thing that I learned and that I try to pass on is that like, yeah, like all of this stuff, like if I'm giving, you know, like we're having a very honest conversation about producing and I'm very aware if I'm talking to a young person about that, it can be intimidating. And I never want it to seem like, oh my God, these are all the scary things and the challenges of it. So don't do it. It's really like, because so many people do do tell young people, people that want to go into theater it's so hard it's so hard totally so there needs to be people that are gonna uplift and get people encourage people to do it totally and everyone I ever talked to was like don't write books about the theater you'll never make money doing that which also like is fine and it's true like you know but um so much of it is like making sure that if you know you have things that you can do as jobs if you want to do it started as a passion first Totally. Um, But as far as, you know, advice, just like getting started and being like, it is hard. It's really hard. Um, That doesn't mean that you can't do it. And that doesn't mean that like having a reading for a bunch of people in a basement isn't going to be like a really good start. And then like you'll do it at the next level and the next level. Um, And also it's like there's no um, there's nothing wrong with like the fact that like a lot of people are amazing at doing things um, and are passionate about them. And that's not the main thing that is their job. Like that's also fine, too. Um, And that could change at some point and it could not change. But it's like just doing what you love is so important on at every age, at every level. I love that, that it, it doesn't necessarily need to be like your, your main job right now, even because it could change in like a year or six totally. months or six years. Totally. Yeah. But there are also other ways to, to have like a full time job that's still in the industry. Absolutely. That's, that still supports the art that you want to create. So that's and I think that you're a testament to that. I mean, there are plenty of people who work nine to five or 10 to six, whatever it is, and then still create work. It's just a balance, I would say, right? Absolutely. And it's so much about like what you want to do. Like there's certain kinds of jobs in the theater that um, are going to pay you and certain kinds that are going to pay you less. And it's like, if you're a musical theater that wants to write original musicals, you are not likely to make the same kind of money as if you are a musical theater writer who is pitching for the corporate jobs and the musicals that are based on movies that you might or might not get. But it's like, there's certain kinds of paths that um, depending on what you want to do could lead certain ways. But if you're true to yourself, that's always going to be the best possible plan to turn that into your career you know there are so many unpredictable things that you just have to you know kind of follow your gut so while we're on the topic of wages i'd really love to ask you how you think that wages stand in the industry right now especially for people on the lower food chain of the business and how somebody can really support themselves on these lower wages that sometimes i don't think are livable that's an interesting question. Yeah, you know, it's so, um, it's such a funny thing to interact with because, like, I fully had all those jobs. Like, I was a PA. Like, and I'm sure that you're so compassionate to that aspect. 
Totally. I mean, but like, you know, I for years and I still look, I still have all of these jobs, but it's like I was a PA who like SAT tutored and like babysat so that I could like build a foundation in the theater so that I could get a job. Like I always tell my interns this too. Like it took me two years to get a full time job in theater. And that was so much from like tons of like non theater related day jobs and tons of theater related like internships and volunteer opportunities. Um, And that's kind of necessary in our business for a lot of people to get a job, which again, like I appreciate that I had the privilege to do some of that and like you know a lot of people don't and that's something that like is definitely I think going the right direction in terms of you know trying to have opportunities that have you know more support for interns and things like that um but yeah in terms of like those things it's so funny because like right now you know we're putting together a show in a 199 seat theater and you can only sell so many tickets it's kind of that but it's kind of also like okay if we pay this person five dollars more a week we can't build that prop so it's like that's my job as the producer to be like we want to pay this person as much as we can pay them if we pay them forty dollars more we can't do the show um and so much of it is interacting with that and especially interesting when like a it's your friends and you're like i just want to pay everyone all the money but you're also raising the money. So what you're doing is convincing people to give you money, knowing that one in five like shows makes their money back and that you can't produce the next one, usually unless you've made some money back, um, and balancing that with the fact that you want to pay everyone fairly and that it's a 199-seat theater. Um, all of those things kind of come into play. Um, but so much of it is like, how can you pay someone as fairly as possible um, and still make the show happen? Right. You guys have lots of good questions. Oh, going deep. You. <laughs> we try. I mean, there's also so much about producing that that we don't know. And actually, I wasn't going to bring this up, but I actually work for, for Ken yeah. now, currently. And so I'm like learning about the whole like producing side of it. I have like thought so much about Ken for so many things. But like, you know, I was there for the people of Godspell, which was when Ken got the special permission to do the raise for Godspell, um, integrating like smaller investors and like got the SEC rules changed to do that. And now, um, you know, commercially producing Be More Chilla and Broadway Bounty Hunter off Broadway, the minimums are so much lower than they are for Broadway um, that that has created this pool of like we've been able to bring on smaller investors. And in so many of the conversations I've thought about those years of raising the Godspell money, you know, not that I was doing, but that I was, you know, watching Ken do and being in his office supporting in various ways. Um, it was definitely an education being there. (laughs) Do you have any interest in producing for theater, film, live events, stuff like that down the line? You know, I kind of like, it's so funny, but it's similar to the way that like I've done everything so far. It's like, I, if, if it comes across, yeah, yeah do it. it's that kind of, like, I never want to write a musical. That sounds like the last thing I would ever want to do. I would probably like, you know, I would rather not work in theater than write a musical. But then I'm like, you know, Shuffle Along definitely changed my life. Like that production was the craziest thing I've ever seen. And, you know, when I said that to a friend of like, that's the last thing I would ever want to do, write a musical. They were like, what if at some point there was like a version of Shuffle Along, but that was about Chorus Line or Oklahoma and you were writing. And I was like, that could be cool. That does sound like a perfect project for you. <laughs> right. So it's like the theater, and that's like a random example. But I just mean that, like, yeah, like there's no kind of telling. Like, I'm so much more guided by the specific things I'm passionate about than from the like, I want to do this, I want to do that. And it's not like commercial producing doesn't excite me in itself. I like worship so many commercial producers, especially a lot of the ones who I interviewed for my books. But that was never what I wanted to do. But when the opportunity came up to like make Be More Chill happen in New York, I wanted to do that. And that meant commercial producing. And at some point, like, the opportunity could come up to 
do like the Jonathan Larson project as a movie. And then I'd be like, I want to produce a movie. Um, so it's so much guided by the projects themselves, I think. Tying back to your book, which is focused on theater houses and Broadway houses specifically, and there, there just aren't enough. I mean, there are so many productions now on Broadway that it's a great thing, great problem to have of where they're just booked for years and years and years now, which means they're running for years and years and years. But that means that new work or revivals or whatever that is, they don't have the opportunity to sneak in there. It's really difficult, I imagine. And totally. so is there is there a world in which maybe you would want to work to open a new one or... Oh my I, God, I don't know where, yeah. I honestly don't know where they would <laughs> put them, but... <laughs> yeah, no, this is a huge part of my... Like, if I had some great like in in the world that we all like daydream about when we're like having a drink with our friends it's like yeah if I had so much money I could do anything (laughs) I would take one of these lost Broadway theaters and turn it back into a Broadway theater of course because at the end of the day like you know it's not the producers who have the power to decide what happens on Broadway at all it's the theater owners um, all of whom are you know it's incredibly fascinating the way that they each run these individual empires but it's like now there's seven shows that want to have this one Broadway theater they all have the millions and millions of dollars to come to Broadway the theater owner picks which of those seven shows gets the spot so it's like it's the theater owner that has that power um I do believe very firmly that like it would be great to have more Broadway theaters but in actually like breaking that down it's so interesting because like 20 years ago half of them were empty and there will be a point in time in the next 20 years where it's possible that that will happen again like these things go in waves that have to do with so many things outside of theater having to do with New York tourism and you know the health of the you know United States economy it's so many things um that a theater actually like opening a new theater is a gigantic multi-billion dollar investment that will take decades to pay back in some ways um, and that really only those main theater owners can undertake. That said, like we got a new Broadway theater in the last five years, which was, you know, the Hudson, which is owned by ATG. So ATG is making huge steps in terms of new theaters. Um, I think it would be an incredible thing to work at one of those organizations and be part of like those decisions that get made. Um, And uh, what was the other part of your question? It was so interesting. But what was the other part of your question? It was tied to the book. It was, oh, oh, the types yeah. of shows that get in. So this is also like when I was growing up, and I mean, you guys tell me if this is your experience. It's like I love original musicals so much, but there are also tons of musicals I love that are based on movies or books or plays or song books. Like there are jukebox musicals I love. There are like all different kinds of musicals that I love. And so I think so much of the industry is pitting people against each other, being like, well, we're an original musical. Oh, well, people know what we are because we are based on this beloved movie. And it's like it doesn't have to be about that. Like there are so many things that can make a good musical it's about the execution and who's writing it and who's producing it and creating it um and there's room for all of those things um but what's interesting to me is you know for the last five years the best musical tony winner has been a show that started out off broadway that was about like teen suicide or like you know abandoned israel or you know there's so many like you know all of these unlikely types of shows are actually the shows that have that kind of acclaim. Not to say there aren't other kinds of musicals that are running, that are making money, but it's like there are room for those kinds of musicals, but you kind of have to be like the one that season. Um, Sometimes there's two. And so it's like all of most of the musical theater writers I know, the thing that they're striving to do is to be the one musical that's that musical of the season, which like starts out out of town, goes to off Broadway, transfers to Broadway, gets best musical. Like that is a path. And that is not the like super commercial thing. But so much of the rest of it that is able to get a theater is like this movie studio is creating a musical based on this movie and a lot of those are great too but that is more in the majority even though the things that are now proving to get the Tony Award winning type of acclaim are the original like 
unlikelier shows. So it's I think that people aren't really talking about that as much, but it is an interesting dichotomy on Broadway right now. Mm -hmm. So speaking of Broadway right now or any theater in general, we always ask our guests as a final question. What is the last great piece of theater that you saw? (laughs) What's interesting is like the last technically great piece of theater I saw, I'm not even ashamed to say it, was our like first rehearsal room run through of Broadway Bounty Hunter, which I'm so proud of and like cannot wait for people to see. Like I am so blown away by everyone on our team and just like July 9th can't come soon enough. But the last great piece of like produced theater I saw was definitely Strange Loop at Playwrights Horizons, which continues to like blow my mind. And I just want every single person I've met to go see it. What is your guys current answer? I need to know. Uh, so yesterday I said um, uh, Bo, which is a new musical written by Douglas Lyons and Ethan Pakchar. I always mess up his last name. Um, they're, it's still like, they're still writing it, but they're about to do a sit down or a production at the Adirondack Theater Festival. So I just last weekend saw a product and a site specific production slash immersive production of a unfinished Arthur Miller screenplay that was oh. adapted to be done in Red Hook, Brooklyn, and it was on the pier at the Waterfront Museum. It was with the company uh, Brave New World Theater Company, and they did this production. They finished uh, the adapter. Uh, I met him. He said he he got all the um, uh, manuscripts from when Arthur Miller was working on this, and actually a big part of the story, it goes with the story, but they the studios kind of shut him down from finishing the script because it uncovered some dirty business in the unions. And so... Um, this was a reading workshop on the pier in Brooklyn, Red Hook, and they're going to do a full production next year. So I thought that that was one of the most fascinating things I've seen in theater in the past couple weeks. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah, that and, I'm, amazing. and I, the reason I went is because I'm a huge Arthur Miller buff. Like, I'll see anything Arthur Miller uh, in any capacity, if it's within driving distance. I love that. <laughs> I want to see that. That's yeah. amazing. So um, that was called Red Hook with Brave New World Theater Company. Cool. Awesome. I love I love site specific things. I think because mm-hmm. it was the like first one I've ever boxes. seen. Oh really? Yeah. Like black boxes. I feel like you can really like mold what the audience experiences and also how to tell the story. So. Totally. One of the best things I've seen in the last like five years was Ragtime on Ellis Island. Like that was extraordinary. But site specific theater is the new frontier as well. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming today. Thank you. I just waved like that was going to be helpful. <laughs> she waved everyone. <laughs> goodbye. Oh, goodbye. Bye, everyone. <laughs> Not a visual medium. No, no. It's okay. But thank you. Okay. See you later. Thanks, everyone, for listening to this episode of Page to Stage. To keep up with us, you can find us on Instagram and Facebook at Page to Stage Podcast. And if you're enjoying these conversations, we would really appreciate it if you could take a couple minutes to rate and review us wherever you're listening to this podcast. Until next time. That's Brian. That's Mary. We'll see you later. Bye. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now 
and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.